Good morning. As we continue our studies in the book of Luke, uh, today we're asking ourselves a, a really important question. Are you with Christ? Yes or no? The cost of following Jesus is increasing as Jesus goes to the cross because hatred toward Jesus is growing too. And his disciples are watching him and following him, and he wants them to see what they're going to be facing. He's explaining what he's going to be suffering, but the disciples, his followers, aren't fully getting it yet. Dave read our passage today, uh, part of our scripture passage today, and I want you to know in Matthew chapter 12, the same information's given. Mark chapter 3, same information's given, but it's in different context. Each of the gospel writers gives a little bit more details, different details, but they all focus on this one intent for telling this event in Jesus's ministry and his life. A choice has to be made about Jesus. A choice about Jesus has to be made. Jesus is pressing the crowds, all his hearers, to make a decision. You got to choose between me and the God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Father, God's kingdom, or you're with Satan and his demons in the kingdom of darkness. Luke 11:23. Have your Bibles open. Turn your phone back on. Look at that verse again. Whoever is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. Those are really sobering words. There's, there's no middle ground here. There's no sitting on the fence, if you know what that means. <laughs> you can't decide which side I'm on, so I'll try and be in the middle. But you can't be in the middle. Jesus says you're either with me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. So this morning, God's asking you and me, are you with me? Yes or no? Are you sure you're with me? Yes or no? And you can be sure you're with him by faith. So let's take a, a quick look again today. I don't know how quick it's going to be. Maybe that was a lie. Okay. <laughs> um, the bad logic of opposing Jesus. So Luke uses this account. He puts it kind of thematically in his gospel to reveal the foolishness of Jesus's opposition, those who are opposing him, his opponents. Matthew, by the way, tells us that the man that was healed was more than mute. He was also blind. So Jesus healed him, and the blind man began to speak. He couldn't speak, but now he's speaking, and the crowd is amazed. And Luke generally, like, just gives a quick, uh, a quick word about how the crowd responds to Jesus' miracles and, and little details around it, but he kind of flips it in this passage. Now he's going to focus on the crowd's reaction, but more than just the crowd's reaction, but the thinking behind their reactions. What's really going on in their minds, in their souls? Luke wants us to know. And the reason? Because a crucial point, decision, has to be made. Are you with Jesus or not? Make the decision. Jesus gives a sober warning 
to two groups. One is the openly antagonistic opposition, those who are criticizing him, the refusing to see the truth about Jesus. And then he confronts the fence-sitters, the middle-of-the-road people. The people say, would you please show us a few more miracles, and then maybe we'll decide to follow you or not. He, he gives sober warnings to both of those groups. Are you convinced Jesus' power is from heaven or something less? It's either from heaven or it's from earth. It's either from heaven or it's from the depths of hell. Have you trusted Jesus Christ that he's God and Savior? And how is it impacting our lives, how we live them differently than people who don't believe that's true? How would they know if you're truly a follower of Christ? How would they know if I'm truly a follower of Christ by how I live my life, speak my life during the week? In verses 15 and 16 in this chapter, Jesus is being accused of his power coming from the devil. Verse 15, but some of them said, he cast out demon by Beelzebul, or the New International Version says Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. So they're accusing Jesus of using Satan's power to cast out demons. And the name Beelzebul Scholars just think it's a play on words here. It's a, it's, it was a play on a Hebrew word that mean, meant Lord of the Flies. Some of you read the book by that title. Lord of the Flies. And you know where flies hang out. Well, if you live in the country, you know where the flies are attracted to. Okay? It's not a pretty sight. So they use that term, Lord of the Flies, as kind of a put-down to anyone who believed in anything less than or other than the Lord God, Yahweh, Jehovah. And Jesus is exposing their bad logic. He knows what's in their hearts. He's spirit-filled. Why would the head of the army, Satan, be against his own troops? Why would he be casting out his own demons? If I'm casting out demons by, by, by Satan's power, then it's not God's power. And if that's the case, then who do your Jewish exorcists, or who do they cast out? By what power are they casting out demons? The question comes up again, who is Jesus? Look at verse 20. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. That's a neat little phrase, the finger of God. I wonder why, where did Jesus get that phrase? Well, look in Exodus chapter 8, because it goes back to Pharaoh and Moses. Let me just read these few verses, beginning at verse 16 of Exodus 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. 
And Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Just a parallel situation here. Pharaoh was seeing God's finger at work. But he refused to believe it. No one was denying that Jesus was casting out demons. Everybody knew he was casting out demons. That wasn't the issue. It was by what power he was doing that great work. They saw God working, but they refused to believe it was God. They were looking for a way not to surrender to God, to humbly submit to God's rule. Pharaoh was like that, and this, this generation, these people in front of Jesus, seeing him do mighty works, was denied it was God working. Here is Jesus delivering people, Satan's enslaving them, making their lives miserable, making them blind and mute, and Jesus is rescuing them, and yet they're accusing Jesus of doing evil by evil power. It was crazy. It was bad logic. Verse 21, when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Who's the strong man in the parable? It's Satan. Who's the stronger man? Jesus. He's there overpowering the works of the kingdom of darkness. God's kingdom is here. It's overcoming evil. It's overcoming sin. It's overcoming death. Are you with me or against me? Whose side are you on? Jesus is asking. Hey, Jesus beat Satan in the wilderness. Remember 40 days temptation? He defeated him. The 70 disciples, we just read that in chapter 10 in Luke, had gone out and were casting out demons in Jesus' name. They were having victory. Jesus said, I saw Satan falling from heaven like a flash of lightning, like boom, the kingdom of hell is being conquered by the kingdom of God. It's happening. Jesus was going to be dying on the cross and was going to look like he had lost, but really he was overthrowing Satan's sin and death's power. Enslaved humanity was being delivered and can be still delivered through belief in Christ. He's doing it. He's proving it. The finger of God is at work. Are you with me or against me? Important question. Satan is a very strong opponent. Look at Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 14. We, we recite this verse a lot. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. There's something more than Putin. Or maybe we should point at some of our politicians in Washington, D.C. We're not all the good guys, are we? Or women? 
What are the forces behind it? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities of the dark kingdom in the heavens. So we need God's help. But in Christ, by faith in him alone, we are overcomers. We're conquerors in him. So we do not need to give in to fear. Reminded me of a hymn. Carol, we need to sing this sometime. There's probably, there is a newer version, a little upbeat version. A mighty fortress is our God. Read that hymn sometime. Uh, we have hymn books. You can maybe borrow one of them. <laughs> it's number 26. <laughs> a mighty fortress is our God, our helper, he amid the floods. I'm, I'm skipping some lines. For still our ancient foe doth seek the work of woe. His craft and power is great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Thus thou ask who that might be? Christ Jesus, it is he. He must win the battle, and he has won the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, have you felt that? We will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word from Christ Jesus will fail him. Knock him down. He's done for. That's a courage-building hymn. So if you're feeling uncourageous in your faith or your life and you feel like it's pressing down in you, I would recommend not only reading the Word of God, but once in a while it's great to sing a hymn that you know in your heart. It rings great truths to help us. You see, it's no accident that, that Jesus brought Pharaoh into the story here about the finger of God because he was reminding these Jewish people who well knew that story, that tradition of how God delivered Israel from the Egyptians, from that big bad Pharaoh guy, so that they would see that they were acting the same way and turn to Christ. Verse 24, we didn't read that, let me read it. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, and it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. And then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worst, worse than the first. Worster than the firster. Yeah. So what's Jesus saying here? That's a weird story, a weird parable. But what he's saying is this. A demon leaves. It's like there's tidying up. There's this cleaning up of the soul. But there's a vacuum. God himself it's, it never moves in to dwell there. So the spirit comes back and he brings some friends with him. And it's worse than before, because in his own strength, this person, he or she, whoever it is, their hearts get hardened. Their conscience gets seared, and they cannot 
believe, it becomes more difficult. Nothing's impossible with God, but Jesus is saying, you can't clean up yourselves. You need to turn to God humbly, decide to be with Jesus, and find true life. Don't delay. Had a friend, Art Yoner, say, hardening of the harteries. That's what happens when we see God working, when you hear the truth of God and you keep saying no. That's what was happening here. First, these, these people questioned Jesus. Is he the Messiah or not? Let's watch and see. And then they began to ridicule him like, oh, he eats with sinners. He heals on the Sabbath. He touches sinners. Does he know who that woman is? All these these. They were ridiculing him, and next they oppose him. Like right here, they're blind to the truth. They have bad logic. Their arguments are silly, and yet they keep saying Jesus is from the devil. And finally, where did it take them? They murdered Jesus out of hatred. Hard hearts. Are you with Jesus? The answer the good answer is obvious. Believe that he's God and Savior. Surrender to his leadership. Those who refuse to be with Jesus will end up just like Pharaoh and Egypt. Why did so many of God's chosen people fail to enter the promised land? They walked through the Red Sea. They got manna every day. They got food. Water poured out of rocks. <laughs> but they didn't go with God. They didn't take God's side. They kept saying, we want to see more. They heard and saw God's mighty deliverance, but they refused to entrust themselves to God Almighty. That's what was happening here with these religious leaders. Generations later, they were fooling themselves. They were saying, we're with God. Look at all we do. Look at what we believe. Look at how we worship. But they were not with Jesus, who was the appointed Messiah, the chosen one of God. Don't ever do this. I implore you, we implore you as a congregation today, if you have not received, believed in Christ, reconciled yourself to God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, do it today. Are you with Jesus, yes or no? What do you say? Quit messing around. Either be with him or against him. Quit trying to be on the fence. Who are the blessed ones? Look at verse 27. And he said to these, and he, as he said these things, a woman in a crowd raised her voice and said to him, anybody want to raise their voice and say, no, <laughs> I would love to have someone shout it out. Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. How'd you do at keeping God's word this week? Oh, well, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah, so-so. <laughs> There's only one way that you and I can keep God's word, to really be with Jesus, right? And that's to get connected to the vine. 
be a branch that's connected to the vine, who gives us the vine. Jesus Christ is the vine. He gives us the Spirit of God that enables us to know the Word of God and to seek God and to begin to do the work of His kingdom. The Spirit of God is the one who gives us new life, that gives us God's life, that gives us the, de the desire to even admit that we failed and, to, and ask Him to help us to follow Him. You see, the crowds were marveling at Jesus' power, and despite all these miracles, so many opposed him. They hardened their hearts. They attributed it to the devil rather than God. They, they hated Jesus, and it showed. What they really believed was showing. But then Jesus also addresses the fence-sitters. He doesn't really have more than a warning for them. Look at verse 29 through, we'll read through verse 32. When the crowds were increasing, so Jesus is getting more popular. More people are taking a look. I mean, he's headed toward Jerusalem. I guess in this context, it's like Luke wants us to know the crowds are growing. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The danger of never enough. The danger of fence-sitting. The danger of not being all in with Christ. Not choosing a side, demanding more. And Jesus' pronouncement is what? You're an evil generation. You're an unholy generation. Wow, God can look right through to the motives. I, I have no idea if you have good motives for being here today or bad motives. What's my motive being here today? I get paid to be here. <laughs> Not a very good motive. Bigger and better. I'll follow you if you show me more. If you take a peek ahead in Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a story. I'm not sure it's a parable. I almost think it's a true story about Lazarus and the rich man. And they both die, and Lazarus, who was a poor, poor man and sick man, gets to go and be with Abraham and enjoying that side of things. And the rich man who treated Lazarus poorly while he was alive in the world, never helped him out, is in hell, suffering. And he told Abraham, he yelled out to Abraham across the great chasm, okay, Lazarus can't dip his finger in the water and give me a drink. At least send him back from the dead to tell my five brothers to do better than I did. And what did, what did God tell him? What did Abraham say? They have Moses and the prophets, if they don't believe the word of God, they won't believe if someone comes back from the dead. 
unbelief, hard hearts, show me more. The resurrection of Christ was not enough. The resurrection or the restoration of Lazarus in John chapter 11, just before Jesus went to die on the cross, was not enough. Only a few believed most hated Jesus and wanted to kill both Lazarus and Jesus because they were raised from the dead. What kind of thinking is that? That's craziness, but that's how dark the darkness is in our hearts without Christ. Only one sign will be given. Jonah is a picture, a picture of death. He was in the fish's belly for three days. He was spit out onto the shores like a resurrection. And when Jonah preached, the Ninevites believed. Jesus was crucified, he died, he was buried, he was raised to life in three days. This is a sign from heaven, but it didn't change the beliefs of so many. How dark is the darkness in our hearts? How desperate is our generation for the light of Christ? Followers of Jesus, bow in adoration for what he's done. Worship him. Praise him for his power, for his saving grace that removes the darkness from our hearts and gives us heaven's light. Only Jesus can rescue us from Satan and from sin's power. He's Lord, he's Savior, he's our God, he's our friend. Love and serve him only. Quit sitting on the fence. Quit trying to be part of the world and a part of Christ. Are you with Jesus, yes or no? Jesus is the greater one, the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba. She came to see Solomon and hear his wisdom, and she's going to stand in judgment on that generation. The Ninevites, the men and women of Nineveh who heard Jonah preach and repented are going to stand in judgment on that generation who saw Jesus because they didn't believe in him. They're going to be standing there and saying, God's right. You didn't believe. You deserve not to be in his presence. Because someone greater than Jonah's here. Someone greater than Solomon's here. We're hearing the very word of God, spoken by God himself, God the Spirit, who had it recorded, had it written down, and to say we hear it but don't believe it, we know it's true but we'll deny it, we'll ignore it, is willingly, willingly choosing to say, I'm not really with Christ. How dark are our hearts unless God intervenes? What's the common thread between the queen of the south and the Ninevites? They were Gentiles, people outside the covenant people, the chosen people. And Luke loves to remind us that God's plan for the church includes all people from all nations. Never miss that. So expand your borders of gospel influence. You have people in your circles of influence that don't know Christ yet, that aren't sure, that might be sitting on the fence or doubters or opposing him. But you are Christ's representative, so do your work well. 
And if you can't go far away, be praying and supporting those who go in your place. That's wise kingdom investing, and it really pleases God. And you are doing that, Grace Chapel congregation here. Thank you for loving Jesus enough to do that, but never give up. Expand. Ask God to help us expand our borders of gospel influence. The guilt of Jesus' generation is our generation's guilt. We have so many opportunities to hear the truth of God and to believe. What happens to people and nations who refuse? Do you know what happened to Israel in 70 AD? God chastises people and nations to lead them to Christ so that they will believe, so their hearts will be changed instead of hardened, softened. So pray that God would graciously open up the eyes of many. That's God's will. To get our step, our life in step with God, the Spirit of God graciously working, praying that he would open up the hearts of countless eyes to believe. What's really wonderful is the world's coming to us right now. So pray boldly. Don't be shy. Ask, seek, and knock for many to fill the kingdom of God by you and me preaching and living the gospel. So Jesus is the stronger one. Jesus is the rescuer. Satan is defeated. In John chapter 10, Jesus said Satan is a thief. He comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's his way. That's his mode of operation. It's his plan for the world. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. That's Jesus's mode of operation. That's our God's way. So how are we going to overcome the darkness that's filling our world? Believe in following the stronger one, Jesus Christ. He's the way to escape the darkness. James wrote in his, his letter to the, to the believers, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. <laughs> Good counsel. Submit yourselves to God. Believe in him. Draw near to God. Know his word. Know how to obey. Begin to obey. Humble yourselves, and he will exalt you. So the question today is, are you with Jesus, yes or no? You know, unbelief, doubting, is an age-old issue for the world. Just close with this, this thought. Way back in the Old Testament, the prophet Elijah was preaching to the land of Israel. 
And in 1 Kings chapter 18, as he was on Mount Carmel, he was challenging the people, are you with Jehovah or with Baal? And here's what he said. How long will you go limping between two different opinions? You ever sprain your ankle, have a bad knee, you ever limp? You kind of walk like this, right? Back and forth, right? That's what he was saying. Quit limping, quit going back and forth. Well, Baal, no, Jehovah. Who's, what are you doing for me lately? Which one seems to be in power? Which ways? How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And here's the kicker. And the people did not answer him a word. What do you say? What do you say? Are you with Jesus? Yes or no? Don't ignore the question. Don't put it off. If you say yes, then follow him without regret. Jesus promises everything you suffer or sacrifice will be, be repaid a hundredfold. If you say, no, I'm not with him, well, I guess that's good in a way. Quit playing games. But then understand what path you're on. You'll be in the company of Pharaoh. You'll be in the company of the generation that saw Jesus and did not believe. You'll be in the company of those who walked through the Red Sea but did not entrust their lives to the Lord God who led them through that. The Queen of Sheba and the men and women of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment seat along with Christ and they will say, you made a mistake. You were wrong believe you should have believed in Christ let's pray Lord we believe we believe you are God and Savior help our unbelief remove any doubts strengthen us and Lord as we remember your death for us through communion the bread and the cup as we take that today I ask that you would help us to that you would increase our strength our faith that our hearts would be enlivened to obey and to follow you without fear. Lord, help us to remember that what you did when you died, what you brought us because of your death, life with you that never ends. We ask you to do this in every heart and soul here today. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.